Hey, good morning, everybody. How we doing? We good? Good. So, hey, I'm excited to be here, and uh, just want to start off. Uh, Shannon and I bought a house about a year and a half ago, and uh, for those of you that own houses, have owned a house before, or live in a house, you know houses always do one thing, and what's that? Break, okay? I heard it. That's what they do. At least that's what happens at our house. And uh, a couple weeks ago, I remember walking into our bathroom, and maybe this has happened to you. You know, this is disgusting, and maybe you hate this as much as I do. But you walk in, and you step on your floor mat, and immediately it goes splash. You know what I'm talking about? And you're like, oh, what is under my foot right now, and what is leaking? So I look at the shower, and I'm looking underneath the vanity, and I'm trying to find the source of this leak. Well, guess where it is? The toilet right? Your toilet has probably leaked too, right? Some of you that said that out loud. And uh, I walked over to our toilet and I'm looking at it and I'm looking for water and I'm using the flashlight and, you know, I just want to go to bed. That's really just what I want to do. I don't want to fix this toilet right now. So as I'm looking, I'm looking for cracks in like the bowl and I'm looking behind it and, and it looks like water's kind of coming up through the base of the toilet. And I go, okay, whatever. I love plumbing, right? Famous last words. I love plumbing. This will be easy. And so the next day, well, all I did was I just mopped up the water went to bed. The next day I was like, no, there's only just a little bit of water. It must be seeping from the bottom. So I go to Lowe's. I'm on a first name basis with a lot of people at Lowe's because I spend a lot of time there and multiple trips. And so I walk in and they wave and say, hey, and I said, point me in the direction. And so I walk in and I get uh, what's called a wax ring. Those of you that have done this before, this is disgusting. Okay, I'm just going to tell you. Have somebody else do it. Uh, so I get this wax ring, and it's like two and a half inches of just pure wax. And so I get our toilet home. You know, I lift it up. I kind of clean the wax off. But I, there's a little bit of pride that's going on here because do I really need to read instructions to install a wax ring? The answer is absolutely not. No, I do not. So rip it off, right? Put the new wax ring on. And I did it wrong, of course. I put the wax ring on the base instead of on the toilet. Plop it on. Good to go. No water for three days. Done. Easy, right? But what happens on day number four? Splash. Walk in. I'm like, are you kidding me? This stupid wax ring is broken. That's what I'm thinking in my head. Rip it off. Go back to Lowe's. Wave to the guys. Back again. Get another wax ring. This time, I watch the video like an amateur, right? I'm watching how to install a wax ring. You know, insert bottom. Put it on the top. Install it. This time, four days, five days. No water. What happens on day six? Water. So now I'm just getting mad, right? Because now this wax ring is just it's stupid. It doesn't work. And so I go to Lowe's and I'm complaining and I'm saying, I'm not going to buy another wax ring. You guys know me. I'm here all the time. You know, and so they're like, all right, tell you what, we'll give you a non-wax ring. We'll just give it to you because of the other two. And, and the plumber who was there, he's like, I'm just stumped, man, because everyone buys these and no one complains about them. And in my head, there's a little bit of insecurity that's bubbling up, right? I'm like, ah. And he said, did you look at the flange? And in my head, I'm like, what's a flange? What's a flange? And he's like, you know, the, the base. And I'm like, yeah, it looks good. Well, I go home, and what do you think I see with my flange? It's cracked just a little bit. And I go, all right, here we go. So it's the flange. So rip out the toilet again, and I decide, hey, uh, call me Tim Taylor, okay? Right, home improvement. I'm going to rip it out. I'm going to redo this. I don't need videos. It's simple. 
rip out the toilet, grab a sawzaw, go to town, and I go to Ace, and I figure this is a half hour. 40 minutes max that this is going to take me. And I saw through it, and I go to Ace, and I get the pieces that I need, and I come home, and I start gluing stuff, and I glued one thing wrong. And you know that, like, plumber's glue? It's like cement, right? So once it's on, ugh, okay, trip number two. So now I'm going back to Ace, right? They walk in, same greeting every time. Is this true for you? You walk in, hey, what can I help you with? Nothing. I'm good. I'm good. Walk right past them, go right to the aisle. I grab another piece. I drive home. That was trip number two. Fast forward 30 minutes, I make another mistake. Trip number three, I go to Ace. This time they don't say hi, right? Because they know if they see you three times, you're not having a good day anymore. So I just hand, I'm good, walk straight to it, I get it. Finally, I'm at home. I have all of the pieces, I've plumbed everything, it's in good shape. And this is when I learned the difference between schedule 30 and schedule 40. And for those of you that don't know, Schedule 30, a 3-inch pipe, is 3 inches. And Schedule 40, a 3-inch pipe, is 3.1 inches. Okay? It's just barely off, but I get the pieces and to match them up, and they don't seal. And so now I'm ticked, right? I go to Ace again. We find out this is what I need, a Schedule 30 to Schedule 40. There was a guy in his 80s there that just wasn't understanding what I was asking for. I said, I need a, a Schedule 30 to 40, 3-inch. And he kind of looks at me, and he's like, well, I got this 4-inch pipe right here. Well, 3, 3-inch. Three I need 3 to 3, 3 to 3. And the number of times he said, it was 4 different times. I have a 4-inch. Thank you. Doesn't help me. I'm working with this much space. Long story short, I finally get it plumbed. I get it good to go. Everything is sealed, glued, tight. The toilet goes back on top with my brand new seal, and it is golden. And then two days later, and the water is leaking out again. And you can just imagine, okay, you're me right now. This has been four ace trips, three Lowe's trips, the number of hours I've spent and dollars I've spent, I won't admit to, but I'm just angry and I noticed something. And if you look at, put that, that picture of the toilet up here again, Rue. Uh, if you look, there's two pieces to a toilet. This is education, okay? The first piece is the bowl. That's the bottom part. The other piece is what's called the tank. Are you aware that there are three bolts that hold the tank to the bowl? And so I feel the first bolt. Tight as can be, nothing wrong. I feel the second bolt tight as can be. Nothing wrong. And I touch the third bolt and it's wet. And I simply grab a screwdriver, tighten the bolt, and it's done. And I have yet to have water in my bathroom. So think about this for a second. How many hours and dollars and energy and anger did I spend replumbing an entire toilet in which the problem was one loose bolt. Moving on. I am not here to talk about home improvement. <laughs> Let's open up the Bible, shall we? Let's open up John. Uh, we're going to be in John 15 today. This is why I bring up this story, or this is why I, I tell it. Um, oftentimes, I think in our relationship with God, in how we relate to God, I think one of the deepest needs or longings that we have as people is a relationship, an intimate relationship with our Creator. 
And oftentimes when we feel like that's been severed or there's distance there or there's something not right or I'm not experiencing it in the fullness, oftentimes we begin addressing issue after issue after issue in our life that doesn't actually solve the problem. Are you with me? At least in my own life, I haven't been a pastor that long. I've, I've not been a pastor for many more years than I've been a pastor. And just the struggle that I've had or the struggle in my relationship with God has often been, God, where are you? You know, I mean, it just starts with my life is so busy and I don't have time to just sit down and read my Bible or pray or I'm lacking someone in my life to coach me and walk me through. And so it's like these external problems that I'm just looking at going, I'm having a hard time putting things in place, addressing these smaller issues in my life, but I'm not experiencing the intimacy that I'm desiring. But then if I'm honest, if I take it another level, oftentimes it's, it's, there's brokenness inside of me that I'm not yet willing to deal with. Did I mention I'm ADD right now a little bit? All right. And uh, I totally lost my train of thought. I'm not even going to lie to you. There we go. John killed it. Thank you, John. All right. And everybody said amen. Amen. We're done. Thank you for coming today. But this is, just going back, man, my relationship with God, oftentimes, instead of just finding time to spend with God or, or finding someone to walk me through what a relationship with him looks like, uh, if I turned introspectively and I started looking at my own heart, uh, a lot of times I didn't want to. A lot of times, you know, I bring my own shame or I bring my own sin or I bring my own insecurities and these things inside of me or these emotions that I feel deter me from actually coming into the presence of God because I don't know if he's going to like what he sees. Because I don't. And this deep-seated root or this deep-seated feeling or deep-seated longing that I have and I believe all of us have is this longing to be known and this longing to be loved by our creator and to have a relationship with him, an intimate relationship with him. And when we don't have it or when we don't experience it, we try to fill it with other things. Or, or we seek fame, or we seek fortune, or we seek marriages or relationships. We do whatever we can to kind of establish this intimate relationship that we so desire and so long for. And so Jesus, if I can just tie this in here, Jesus is with his disciples uh, in the book of John where we're at. And Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's saying over and over and over, I'm going to leave you. I'm going to leave, like there's a time coming where I'm going to go to the Father and you guys are going to be here and you're not going to have me. And so it makes them nervous, right? Because imagine you spend three years with Jesus. You camp with Jesus, you eat with Jesus. He's there. Crowds that come after you, you're like, dude, just stay close to Jesus. As long as I'm by Jesus, they're not touching me. They're not bothering me. Jesus says things that confuses all of us, but then he, he brings us in later and he, he just illustrates it. And he says, this, this is what I mean. This is what God is like. This is what the kingdom of God is like. And so imagine your world has been opened for three years and you've seen some of the most incredible things in your life. And then Jesus tells you, I'm going away. So some of the disciples start saying this. Peter, Peter he asks him, he says, Lord, where are you going? Why can't I follow you right now? Just start here. These uh, Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? If you're leaving, if you're disappearing, if you're going back to the Father, how are we going to be able to know where you're at or how to find you and how to find that way? Philip says this, Lord, show us the Father. That'll be enough for us. You know, he's like just saying, hey, just show us the destination. Show us how to get there. Show us what the Father is like or who the Father is like, and then, then we'll know. Then we'll be okay. And then Judas, not Judas that betrayed Jesus, but another one. He says, Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us 
and not the world. And this is what Jesus responds by saying. We're in John 15, starting in verse 1, if you want to read along. Otherwise, we'll have words on the screen. Jesus says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You, already, you are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. And then verse 4, he says that. Say this first word of me. Remain. He says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must, say it again, remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And this word remain is so interesting because uh, in Greek, not that Greek matters, but sometimes the words that are used are in translation. Uh, as you dig just a little bit deeper, you see a different meaning. And so in Greek, the word remain is the word meno. Say meno. Meno, right? That's like the easiest Greek word that you can learn. Okay, so there we go. Done. Check the box. But meno is this really cool word. It, it means remain, uh, but to phrase it differently or, or to define it differently, it's, it's, it's this. Please don't go. Please don't leave. Please don't abandon. Please don't embark. Just please stay. Please don't leave. Please, please stay. Please stay close you know, or abide. A lot of us have heard abide. Jesus is saying... I am the vine, and you guys are branches. Let's just use a gardening metaphor. I'm the vine, and when you're connected to me, you're full of life. You'll know the way. You'll know the Father. You'll have relationship with him. You won't be alone. But when you become disconnected, it's the same thing as if you rip a branch off of a tree and you leave it in the yard. When it's detached from nutrients and sustenance and water and life, the branch eventually withers and dies. Jesus is saying, I am the vine. You guys are the branches. Stay with me. Don't leave me. Then he says this, verse 5, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, though, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's trying to get them to understand that it's better for Jesus to leave and for a helper to come be with them. And there's just follow this because this is going to kind of be through just our couple minutes together today. But what Jesus is saying to them is it's better for me to leave so that you have the helper, not help. They're asking Jesus, Jesus, give us help. Show us the way. Show us the Father. Give us the answer. Show us how. Help us do what we want to do. But Jesus is saying, I'm going to do something better. I'm going to give you a helper. So in John 16, this is one chapter later, this same conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples. John 16, verse 13, Jesus says this, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the father is mine. 
That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's saying, hey, get this. When you have the Spirit, the Spirit of truth that's coming, he will come when I leave, but the Spirit and I are connected. And when the Spirit receives something from me, he will make it known to you. He'll make it visible to you. He will help you understand it. He will be the ultimate helper and the guide and the advocate. And so when I leave, it will be better for you because that spirit will live inside of you, not just being next to you in the person of Jesus. Are you tracking with me? Jesus is trying to communicate this to his disciples, and it's the same truth that exists today. But it's, that, it's this, that we experience a relationship with God an intimate relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. So there's a caveat, though. There's one thing that can actually stand in the way of us achieving this intimate relationship with God that so many of us, or all of us, are built for, but many of us desire. Some of us, we push back and we resist. And we go, I don't, I don't want that because I don't want to be in your presence, God, or I'm mad at you or I'm angry at you or you've wronged me in the past or whatever that is. But deep, deep down, all of us have this void that's created inside of us that only God and a relationship with him can fulfill and can restore and can make whole. But there's one thing that stops us. And it stops all of us. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, what country you're, you're from, what gifts you have or talents or profession. It doesn't matter what it is. There's one thing that stops all of us, and it's this, independence. And independence, that doesn't make any sense. You know, come on. We have a country that's founded on independence, right? The declaration of Independence. We love independence. Independence makes sense. We have a country that's founded on it. We kick kids out so that they go learn to be independent. We seek independence from our own families or our own uh, parents. We look for independence in our jobs. Retirement. Just think about this for a second. Retirement is financial independence, meaning you're not reliant on or you're not dependent on anyone else to fulfill any of your needs. Independence is so rooted in who we are, not even just as Americans, but as people. We hate being reliant or dependent on anyone but us because it gives us control, because we feel freedom, because we're in charge. So in Jeremiah 2, this is a, it's a really fun story, I think, but uh, God has led the Israelites out of Egypt, and he led them through the wilderness, uh, and generations of people, you know, in the wilderness, and then God brings them to the promised land, and when they get to the promised land, the people turn their back on God. And Jeremiah is a prophet. He's a priest that exists in the, the Israelites at the time. And so Jeremiah starts writing this, and this is like a sermon that he's delivering. But God just puts this on Jeremiah's heart, and he shares this, and I'm going to read it for you. And just think about this is from the perspective of God here. What he says is this is what the Lord says. What fault did your ancestors find in me? That they strayed so far from me. They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. They did not ask, where is the Lord who brought us up out of Egypt and led us through the barren wilderness, through a land of deserts and ravines, a land of drought and utter darkness, a land where no one travels and a land where no one lives. I brought you into a fertile land to eat its fruit and its rich produce, but you came and defiled my land. 
and made my inheritance detestable. The priests did not ask, where is the Lord? Those who deal with the law did not know me. The leaders rebelled against me. The prophecies or the prophets prophesied by Baal, following worthless idols. Therefore, I bring charges against you again. This is intimidating, right? God is speaking this to his people saying, I have a grievance with you. I'm bringing charges against you. And I will bring charges against your children's children. And then he says, cross over to the coast of Cyprus and look. Send to Kedar and observe closely. See if there's ever been anything like this. Has a nation ever changed its gods? Yet they're not even gods at all. But my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, you heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold any water. So this is something that's, that's not familiar to us. Or we don't understand the use of cisterns or why we would use cisterns. But in the Middle East, in Israel or in Jerusalem, which is where this is taking place, uh, it, it was a desert-like climate. It, it doesn't rain a lot. So when it would rain, you would have two options. You would find a source of what was called living water. It was rushing or moving water, a river, or something that just wasn't stagnant. Maybe it's even a spring. But the other option would be to build a cistern to build kind of this contraption that holds water. So I want to show you this picture. This is what a cistern kind of looks like. This is more modern day, but it's kind of just this big concrete, uh, I don't know, circle that you do your best to seal. And so when it rains, the water collects in there. But how many of you would be excited about drinking that water, let alone taking a bath in it, right? Even swimming, you'd go, eh, I'm good. I don't need E. coli. You know, it's just weird. I can see it swimming. It's gross. What, what God is saying to his people here is this. You have forsaken me. You have turned your back on me. You have worshipped idols that aren't me. You, you've turned your back on me, the one true living God, and instead chose to focus your praise and your worship on things that have no value and provide no value to you. And when it comes to even water, the sustenance of life, instead of relying on me, you built this. And I just want to show you, too, what, what God was talking about when he said living water. But this is called in Gedi. This is a place in Israel. Look at this. Would you trade this for the last picture? I've swam in something like this when I was in the Middle East. It was unbelievable. The water's warm, and it's clean, and it's clear, and it doesn't make sense because you're in the middle of the desert, and everything around you is green. As soon as you get right outside the water supply, there, everything turns brown. And it's sandy, and it's dark, and it's cracked, and it's broken. And yet when you get here, it's just bursting with life. And what God is saying to his Israelites is the same thing that he's saying to us, is that so often we choose worthless idols and put them above our relationship with God. And instead of being uh, reliant and dependent on something like this, the source of water and the source of life, which is him, we choose instead to build our own cisterns. We build our own lives built around ourselves and built around safety and built around independence, built around financial independence, relational independence, spiritual 
independence. And we say, God, we don't need you. Here's the two things. If I can just boil these down, the two things that God said the Israelites did, they're two sins. One, they forsook God as the solution to their deepest longing. They said, it's not you. We don't want you. We'd rather have temporary things that we can see and touch and hold. We don't want you. That actually fulfills the void in our hearts. But the second one is this. They chose independence. They didn't want to rely on God. You know, think about it. If you live in the Middle East, what if that dries up? What if the water stops flowing? What if your safety is no longer guaranteed? What then? What if God doesn't come through? And so independence is a way of maintaining control. And God said, no, two sins. You forsook me as the solution. And this one, you chose to be independent. I just wonder, what does this mean for us? Or at least for me, I mean, just to be honest with you, when I was growing up or when I was younger, many of the things that I took for granted or many of the things that I saw independence Um, that I labeled them as good were this, going to church, reading books, listening to sermons, listening to messages, uh, being a part of worship nights or going to serve. These were things that were great, but these were things that I was ensuring independence of myself, saying, okay, I don't necessarily need a relationship with God to meet this deep inside broken part of my spirit. And instead I'm gonna find fulfillment and I'm gonna find joy outside of a relationship with God, but I'll find it serving or I'll find it in my job or I'll listen to a sermon online, or I'll be a part of a church and I'll go every Sunday. But here's the thing that so many of us know is is this, sometimes what we bring to church isn't actually what's going on inside. That sometimes what we bring to places of our employment isn't actually what's going on inside of us. Sometimes even what we bring our own marriages or our own families and the facade that we put on isn't actually what's going on or what's being felt on the inside. And this is exactly what God is speaking to about his people. He's saying your independence maintains this, but I speak to what's going on inside. I speak to your heart and I speak to the void. And this is where, I mean, this is where it's so fun. The Holy Spirit fills that void. So Satan's main ploy, uh, I have a mentor who um, has really been coaching me and spending a lot of time with me uh, just on a weekly basis. But what he said was this, and this changed my world. Uh, and if you're writing anything down, just write this one down. Satan's main ploy to destroy you is not to get you to sin. Did you know that? This is crazy. You can walk out and go, ha, huh, I got to figure it out. You know, this is Satan's goal is not to make you sin. It's not to make you turn your back on God. What his ploy is or what his intention is this to live independent of him. That as soon as we separate ourselves from the source, as soon as we separate ourselves from the vine, as soon as we as branches remove ourselves from the source, which he makes it so clear, is this. God's word and the spirit of truth that leads us to this and guides us in this and points us to this and helps us understand this. Satan's main ploy to destroy you is to get you away from this to live not based on what this says, to not be dependent on God for your provision or your protection or your relationships or your calling or your purpose, but his ploy is to get you to try to do it on your own. That was life shattering for me because I had never heard that before. I didn't know what I could do with that. But then he said this, God will never give us what we want when we seek independence from him. 
because it makes him an accomplice in our crime. Isn't that awesome? Just let that sink in for a second, that God, when we use Jesus or when we use the Holy Spirit or we use Scripture to get what we want, to seek independence and to, to seek life that's separate from him, when we're trying to seek our own independence, God will never give us what we pray for. He'll never give us what we want because he becomes an accomplice in our crime to write him off and to live life independently from him. And that's why, I don't know about you, there's so many times that I've come and I've prayed for something and I said, God, please do this. Please deliver this. Please do this. Please answer me. Please give me. Please do whatever it is, fill in the blank. And he didn't. And for years and for decades, I wrestled and I was angry. And I said, why didn't you? And where were you? And why not? And how come? And I questioned, questioned, questioned until I got to this. And I realized that I was using Jesus and using the Bible as a means, as an avenue or as a street to my own end. Instead of using Jesus as the end. To say my desire is just you. It's not using you to get something else. There's this cool story uh, about Harry Houdini uh, that was told. I don't know if it's true or not. John actually shared this story with me. Uh, but Houdini was kind of this escape artist. And, uh, man, I would have loved to be Houdini as a child, right? I was large like this, too. You know, I couldn't escape anybody. Hide-and-seek was my least favorite game because it's like I had one spot that I fit, and that was always the first spot that everybody looked but Harry Houdini um, was kind of this master um, magician. He could get out of anything. You'd chain him up, put handcuffs on him or a straitjacket on him, or you'd lock him up in a safe or a jail cell. And so there's a picture, and this is Harry Houdini. Um, legend goes like this. Uh, Houdini once was challenged, and they said, hey, if we put you in a jail cell, could you actually get out of it? And he said, of course. Of course I could. So they said, okay, let, let's test you. We, we challenge you. And so he said, challenge accepted. And so what they did is they took Houdini, Harry Houdini, right, the man himself, and they put him in the jail cell. And the guard walked in, you know, and they locked him up, and they put handcuffs on him, and they put foot cuffs on him, and they put a jacket on whatever. They just chained him up so that he was stuck. And they left him, and they said, all right, let's see if you can actually get out of this. And so they left and story has it that, you know, he gets out of the handcuffs and gets out of the, the, the ankle cuffs and he gets out of the straight jacket. And then he takes this like pin or this something in his belt and he starts jimmying the gate and he's trying to unlock the gate that had locked him in. And so he's trying to do it and trying to do it. And it says after two hours, he gave up. Houdini, the man himself, gave up and said, I can't do it. No matter what I do, I cannot get the latch to unlock the gate. And it was at that moment that the guards came back and the people came back and they went to unlock it and they saw it open. And here's what Houdini didn't realize and what the guard felt like an idiot about. They never locked the door. So Houdini's sitting there with something from his belt trying to unlock a door that's already been opened. And he gets frustrated and angry and he can't open it and he can't get it when all he had to do was to open the door, was just to push it. This is what I want us to hear today. The door is already open. And the Holy Spirit wants to move into our lives and into our hearts 
There's nothing to overcome. There's no wall to, to scale. There's no prayer you have to pray. There's, no, there's nothing you have to do to invite the Holy Spirit into your heart. The door is already open. And that's why I loved the words of the song that we sang right before John came up. And I'd love for Brenda just to recap that. But the door's already open. And the Holy Spirit, if I can just speak to you, the Holy Spirit wants to move in you and move in your heart and do such an amazing work that it, it, it pales in comparison anything else in your life. But it's found in dependence. That it, it, when we live in independence, it's impossible to experience God the way that he designed us to experience him. He designed us, I mean, you guys know, uh, we're pregnant, we're expecting a baby here in just a couple months. And this baby, it's gonna be dependent on us for everything, for everything. I was talking to Corey, our worship pastor up at the North Campus, and I just said, tell me about what it was like when you, when you first had kids. And he said, man, when I'm holding the baby, uh, I just look at it, and it's kind of weird to think that if I don't do my job, the thing dies. I was like, that's really weird to say to someone who's expecting their first child. You know, thank you for the pressure that I now feel. But here's, here's what the point is, or here's what he got across or communicated, and I believe this is what God wants to communicate to us as well. He can be trusted. That our dependence on him should be based on the fact that if he doesn't come through, it's over. And it's so contrary to who we are. Sin drives us to independence, but God calls us and invites us to dependence on him and independence is where he meets us and independence on the Holy Spirit is when we can live and walk and experience everything that God has planned for us. Would you pray with me? God, we just pray today and we just pray that you would work powerfully through your Holy Spirit in our lives and that those who have yet to open the door and experience you and a relationship with you, I just pray, Father, that they would kick that door open and see and realize that it was unlocked the whole time. God, I pray that you would just speak powerfully to the hearts and speak powerfully to the brokenness, to the pain and to the wounds that so many of us carry, to the fears or anxieties or worries that so many of us hold that resist, that they make us resist or, or push back on releasing everything to your control. Father, there's so many things that just control us or they, they just hold our hearts down and fear just keeps coming to mind. Fear, fear, fear. What if, what if it doesn't come through? What if I can't afford it? What if I get sick? What if I lose them? What if, what if, what if, what if? And God, I just pray that you would speak to the fear. And I pray that we would just open our hearts to you and that you would move in in such a powerful way that you would take residence in the deepest part of ourselves, parts that so many of us have stuffed and we don't access and we don't want to. God, I just pray that we would open the door today and invite you to come in, to take root and take a presence in our hearts. God, fill the gap that you created that only you can fill. And as a church, we just come before you and we just thank you for sending your son Jesus on the cross who made this possible. 
And let us never forget that Jesus is the one that you sent so that we would know who he is and that we would get a glimpse of who you are, that we could experience the Holy Spirit, but also on mission as we go to a world who lives in brokenness, who lives in pain, who lives in independence. God, use us in all of our context, in whatever way you see fit, to draw others, others under our influence, others from our family, others from home and school and work and friendships and whatever it is, to invite them to experience God, we love you. We're so grateful for you. We just pray that you would work powerfully in us today and tomorrow and next week and for the rest of our lives until we can spend eternity with you. All God's people said, amen.